Um, if you don't push for your limits, you're never going to find where they are. You're never going to get better. You're never going to do more. So I have to keep pushing to see what I can really do and how far I can go and how fast I can make it happen. everyone and welcome to the Dirty Chain Podcast brought to you by Michigan Midpack Media, the podcast that covers the Michigan cycling scene from the viewpoint of the Midpacker. I'm your host Trevor. And this is Sheldon. And on today's podcast we have a great conversation with the fourth place finisher of the 2019 Ultra Endurance Gravel Race, the Crusher, Mitch DeYoung. Mitch is going to be breaking down and giving us some insight on everything that it took to prepare for this race and what it took to get him through the almost 16 hours of brutal northern Michigan upper peninsula enhanced gravel. Really looking forward to that conversation with Mitch, but let's first talk about a couple things involving the Michigan cycling scene that happened this weekend. First off, Sheldon, there was the Divide race up in Manton, Michigan. Yeah, they had a 50-miler uh, and a 36-mile route. I think there was a 19 as well. Oh, they did have a shorter one. Yeah. Yep. Um, it, uh, punchy uh, with the climbs, 4,500 feet of climbing in the 50, which for Michigan is some substantial elevation gain. It was just north of uh, the Manistee National Forest, I yep. believe. Yeah, mm-hmm. beautiful. Uh, in between Cadillac and Traverse City, to kind of give a reference of where uh, Manton, Michigan is. Part of the Michigan Gravel Race Series that... Uh, kind of the race schedule spreads throughout the whole uh, race season. Yeah, this is uh, one of the last ones until September. Um, So uh, congratulations to all the riders and finishers of the Divide. And also this week, this weekend, we saw that uh, local racer and race promoter, race owner, race... Maniac on a bike. (laughs) Maniac on a bike. (laughs) Matt Acker went over to Iceland and raced the Rift, which is seemed like a pretty intense gravel race. Yeah, it's a uh, 200k out on the volcanic fields <laughs> of Iceland. Um, it was from so- the pictures that I saw, it was just absolutely gorgeous. It was so cool to have Michigan represented amongst a, a field of heavy hitters. It had Colin Strickland, winner of the... Um, Dirty Kanza this year. Ted King, uh, former winner of Dirty Kanza. Yuri Hoswald was out there. Yeah. Congratulations to to Matt on 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 a great race. He came in sixth. Sixth on a bike that he had never even ridden before. Yeah. According to his uh, socials, it seemed like he had a little bit of difficulty with the traveling and uh, his gear, but he managed to pull out a sixth place. So congratulations to Matt. And can't wait to see when you get back stateside. Sheldon, how was your week in the mid-pack? Oh, it was, uh, it was a great week. Uh, kind of had the usual uh, weekday rides, but uh, over this weekend, you and I got out on Saturday, and I tried to get you into some bad decisions. Yeah, you tried to expose me to the, uh, to the bad decisions you had last week, mainly a river fording, which, I mean, is this going to become a thing, Sheldon? <laughs> like, 
Are I'm going to get you across the river. No, no, not with me. I'm not going to do it, but with you. Now are you going to like always be looking for rivers? And not rivers, just something different every time. Something different. Okay, okay, well, it's annoying. No. <laughs> but it was, a, it was fun. Got a 200K out um, yeah, on, you the, did, yeah, on I, a single speed. I rode, um, I don't know, a little over half with you, but then you, you just kept crushing it for a bit. Yeah. Yeah, so... Well done. <laughs> About one sixteen, I uh, full blown hit a wall and blew up and had to eat some Skittles and then go get bubble tea. Yeah, that uh, and that is um, uh, professional nutrition here oh, on yes. the podcast. Uh, professional mid pack <laughs> nutrition. If you're not fueling from gas stations, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> um, anything else new or noteworthy, Sheldon? Oh, I got some brand new Euro shoes that I absolutely am in love with. Yeah, what uh, for road for mountain? Uh, the the mountain for gravel, the uh, VR nineties. Uh, first time I've ever been able to take shoes straight out of the box, pull out the paper, put them on that morning, and go out and do two hundred k and not have a single pain in my feet. Oh, fantastic! I got a little something new. Well, it's new or old, but I got my road bike back, <laughs> and I am. But there's a shiny bit. There is a shiny bit. It's called the fork, which is broken. <laughs> And now that fork is gone, and now I have a new shiny fork, and I am ecstatic. That was not the only upgrade. Well, I got some, I upgraded the brakes a bit. I went with uh, Altegra Hydro brakes on the road bike, and it's, uh, I I have yet to, to get her out, because we rode gravel earlier, but uh, man, she looks nice, and... Yeah, you were, you were really itching me for a road ride this weekend. I was, but yeah. <laughs> Come on, man. And I'm How, stubborn. <laughs> you are. I should have just ridden by myself. Okay, let's get to our conversation with Mitch DeYoung. With us today, we have Hammer Nutrition athlete and fourth place overall finisher of the 2019 edition of the Ultra Endurance Gravel Race, The Crusher, Mitch DeYoung. Welcome to the podcast, Mitch. Oh, thanks for having me. So, Mitch, uh, before we really get into it, I want to know, how are your legs feeling? Well, they're starting to come back to life, finally. It's been a little over a week, and I can finally walk up the stairs without being exhausted. How long did it take for you to even want to look at your bike again? I rode... I was going to go to TNR on Tuesday. Oh, I drove over. I knew it. I wasn't we talked ride about over. this last time. We about <laughs> But as soon as it started raining, I said I was out. And actually, I went back and did a really easy spin on the trainer on Tuesday. So That's even worse. It was. <laughs> Would I have had a chance to beat you in sprints last Tuesday? Yes. Ah. Severely. Stupid weather. <laughs> so let's go back to the crusher. Um, tell us a little bit about what inspired you to do this race in the first place. Now, as far as I understand it, this is the first year of this type of, of this edition of the race. Yeah, the Crusher has been going on in some form for a number of years. The last few, it's been a loop out of Marquette, about 180 miles or so, uh, starting and ending in Marquette. And this year, they decided to make it a little bit different and started the course out of Copper Harbor. And as they were setting up the the route, they continued to add mileage and add mileage and uh, add mileage. Do you, do you know why? They just wanted to get more of the country up there. Okay, all right. See more things, do more things, make it a bigger challenge for more people. Okay. Were these um, uh, just the race directors, or were these people that were actually going to race the race? 
Pretty much the race directors. Okay. So they're just mean. Yeah. <laughs> now, this is held by the 906 uh, crew who also puts on Margie and Polar Roll. Yes. Any other races they do? Those are the three that they do. So they, they're pretty sadistic. Okay. Yeah. So it just falls in line with their <laughs> their whole MO, kind of. And this one's a little bit different as in they want everyone who starts this one to be able to finish. The, oh, okay. So Margie, the idea is to make it the biggest challenge you can, make it the hardest race possible, and only really a select few are ever going to earn the 12-hour belt buckle. Uh, with the Crusher, the idea is they want everyone who starts to finish and get their mug. So it's, it's for everyone to come up and test themselves but succeed. Okay. How big of a field was it? There were about 200 people in the 225, and then there was also a 100-mile race and a 30-mile plus a 50-mile ultra run. That is huge. So I want to say know. there were somewhere around 400 athletes. That's actually a lot bigger than I had originally thought. For, yeah. for what is, in essence, its first year in this form, yeah. that's huge for a yeah. first year, let alone an ultra-endurance-level uh, race. So I, I will say the 906 crew, is uh, they're marketing, I don't even know what guru is, they do a great job of getting the race out there, getting people interested, and just stirring up motivation of people that they didn't know they had. It looked like it was put to, like, organized almost yeah, they flawlessly. Do, they do a great job of making sure everyone knows what's going on and make sure everyone's prepared. Speaking of preparation, um, I was reading your uh, blog, which we'll, we'll put a link to the to the blog in the in the notes of the show, but uh, you started out talking about this laundry list of types that uh, they gave you and you were required to have a gear list. Um, can you talk a little bit about the uh, things you had to have on your person while you were racing and um, how that all worked? Sure, they had a few things that I would take pretty much on either most races or rides. You had to have a uh, tail light on at all times. You had to start with three liters of water, which is a bit more than I would usually have on me, but they know you're gonna be going hours on end without being able to get more. Uh, so that's a pretty safe safe amount to have on you. You also had to start with 3,000 calories, which also not a bad idea. Um, you had to have a headlight, but it didn't have to be on. It had to be with you. Some of the strange things that they had on there were uh, you had to have a raincoat, a thermal layer, an emergency blanket, a whistle, and my favorite, and I think everybody's favorite, you had to have a snorkel. <laughs> <laughs> I, I read that, but... <laughs> Can you explain that, or is it, there's just no explanation? So the explanation that Todd gave was... It's Todd, on, is, Todd, Todd is the... Todd is the, the um, Todd is the Director of Adventure for 906 Adventure Club. Okay. That's his title. Okay. It's on his business card. It's hilarious. Okay. One of the best titles I've seen. But he said, it's on the gear list, so you have to have it. It'll probably be on the gear list next year, so you'll have to have it for then, too. I, I love that. That's Did you have to buy a snorkel just for this event? So my son has a snorkel. I was going to take it, but he was going to be using it for the weekend. So, yes, I went out and bought the <laughs> cheapest snorkel I could find at Family Dollar. Is it still in your camelback or whatever? No, I gave it to my other son, <laughs> okay. and he promptly put it on the side of the beach and okay. didn't use it. <laughs> well, okay, so... As far as the gear that you were told to bring, what about the gear that uh, you just brought and you knew that you would need? Was there anything extra? So they didn't have a pump or an, a um, 
or just so like basic yeah. bike yeah. tools they didn't tell you to bring <laughs> so you, like <laughs> things that you might actually need <laughs> but had, a snorkel yes but you know <laughs> you had to have a multi-tool okay. a master link a tire levers a chain tool but they didn't put on pump or co2 cartridge okay so interesting um other than that i didn't maybe bring you were supposed to that's what the snorkel yeah for. you're supposed <laughs> to blow it to the tire yeah. with the snorkel i think that's just one of those common sense things that you should know to bring sure 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 now, you had to bring <laughs> three liters of water, 3,000 calories. What was the spacing like for the aid stations? Uh, there were no official aid stations. So they did have two unofficial stops. One was hosted by the city of Houghton, right at the Shoots and Ladders Park, right on the river. The other was in Lance, and it was a tire company was hosting that one so those are the only two official ones however you could have support crew come up and meet you along the way the only caveat was they needed to give help to anyone else who was with you at the time so okay. you're, you're not just out there giving they're not just out there giving you help they're helping anyone who's with you no the two uh, unofficial ones what were their mileage spacings end of the race so the city of Houghton was about 80 miles into the race, and Lance was about 160 miles, give or take a few for each one. So they were a long ways apart. Um, when oh, from Lance to Marquette, I had planned on about seven hours for that last stretch, and there's nowhere for anyone to meet you in that stretch. So everything you want for that seven hours, you had to have on you. They did tell us the day before, maybe two days before, that they were gonna park a trailer somewhere in the woods they didn't say where they didn't say what was going to be in it they just said there will be a trailer in the woods that will be helpful to you guys and you'll have to find it it was about halfway between Lance and marquette and they stocked it with water and some uh, there was some heat in there and some hammer gel there were a number of other just snacky type things that they put in there and then they said if anybody wants to on friday they could drop stuff off to share in the trailer so there was a number of things but a lot of it had been scavenged by the hundred milers who'd gone through earlier All in the day right. no that's true there was still a lot of water for us though so i filled up my water bottles there and went on my way that's incredible now as so we talked in our first episode how this was an enhanced gravel race what was kind of the breakdown of the surfaces so the surface changed quite regularly we started off with about two or three miles of pavement then we went a mile or two of good gravel and then on to what you would call a snowmobile trail or a fire road and it was a mixture of sand rock roots washed out kind of ruddy areas because they had a pretty wet spring uh, and then it would go back and forth between you know great gravel roads pavement and we went through one spot that was a Jeep trail, and I don't know how any Jeep would be able to drive on the thing. <laughs> I could barely ride my bike along the edges of it, but it was basically a boulder field with mud puddles. Is that Mosquito Gulch? That was Mosquito all Gulch. Right. Can, all right, I want to hear more about Mosquito Gulch because oh. on Instagram, this is almost infamous. So, so before you uh, tell us about that, what so what mile are you at when you get to Mosquito Gulch? Mis mosquito, what, what are you saying? Gulch. What word? Gulch? What Gul is a gulch? A gulch? It's like a ravine. Okay. That made me sound stupid, but... <laughs> <laughs> can I say it more condescendingly yeah, yeah. and then we can put it in? <laughs> um, um, what type of mileage are you at when you're riding through Mosquito Gulch? We reached Mosquito Gulch somewhere near mile 200. Oh, so we were... So you're well warmed up by then, right? Warmed up would be a nice way to put it. <laughs> 
I would say at that point, you know, we're 13 plus hours into the day, and that's our lead, the leaders are 13 hours into the day. So your legs are fried, your brain is fried, your body's beat, and you're just ready to be done. <laughs> um, so it's right, actually happened to be right after the trailer. So I refilled my water, hopped back on my bike, rode about 10 feet, and came to a river which was nice. It was about knee deep. We had to walk through it, but it actually felt really nice to rinse some of the dirt off and kind of cool my feet down. And, um, crossed the river, hopped back on my bike, and it started up a, a little bit of a gully that was rock strewn and just had to keep going from one side to the other. And there was a bit of a line and it was all rideable. And then we made a hard right-hand turn and the trail just went straight up. And it was straight up in this it was almost a V carved into the side of a hill, for lack of a better word, filled with sand and roots. And it just had to push my bike up. That's all I could do, push, 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 push. Got to what I thought was the top, turned, and it continued going up. I was only about halfway. Oh, <laughs> my ankle, or my calves are just burning as I'm trying to push my bike up this thing. It's not wide enough for both of us to be in next to each other. I can't have it next to me. It had to be out in front of me. Oh, my gosh. Um, I'm to the top and I'm like, I have never wanted to stop while pushing my bike. I've never been tired enough in my life to want to just stop. I'm almost there. <laughs> I'm just about ready to take a break. But I made it to the top and it's just, all right, I can keep going now. It can't get any worse than this. Maybe 50 yards down the trail, there's just basically a pile of boulders. And I look at it and I'm like, all right. It's worse. <laughs> I don't know where this stuff came from, but it's worse. And there were no real good lines. You could go to the side in some spots, and then you'd ride along for a little bit, and you'd have to go back down into it, and then there would be a huge mud puddle. Like, All right, I'll just ride along the edge of this mud puddle. And some of them were two, three inches deep and just kind of greasy, and then one I'm riding along, and all of a sudden sink down up to my front axle and almost up to my back axle. Oh, my gosh. So they're... <laughs> It's a 29 inch tire, so you're looking at what 15, 14 sure. inches of mud, yeah. and it just stopped. I got off my bike and it continued to stand up on its own, stuck in the mud. <laughs> just like, this is not <laughs> happening. So I grab it and tugged, and it makes that just awful wanna... sound that mud makes when you pull <laughs> that sound of suction. <laughs> I want to go back to one of my initial questions because I think we kind of glossed over it. What inspired you now that you're telling us about this what initially inspired you to tackle this type of event in the first place you know i wish i had a good answer for that but you've, you've done you've done margie in the past mm. right yep so it kind of is kind of right in line with some of the events that you have ridden before yeah i like to do big new adventures basically and this is something that I hadn't exactly done. I've done races close to this length, and I've done races up in um, that area, so I know kind of what it's like. But to be one of the first people to do this big adventure-style race up there just sounded like something I had to do, I had to try, and I wanted to see how how much I could really push myself. Um, if you don't push for your limits, you're never going to find where they are, you're never going to get better, you're never going to do more. So I have to keep pushing to see what I can really do and how far I can go and how fast I can make it happen. That's fantastic. And that pushing put you in the lead pack essentially the entire race. I, I was watching the GPS tracking, and I saw you at the front of the pack 
actually leaving a good chunk of the race. Did you? Yeah. Did you guys stay together most of the race, or was it pretty fragmented? Or how did that? How did that break down? We started all together, and we started with a group of probably 12 or 14. And over the first 40 or 50 miles, people slowly kind of fell off the back, and we ended up with a group of eight people who rode together. We were probably together through mile. 120 or 130 and then three of the guys fell off the back so there were five of us um, and then at about mile one I would say one at about mile 150 is when I had to back off a little bit after my crash and just kind of get myself back together um, and then now what happened in the crash oh so in the crash I'm riding along on a very nice gravel road but it did have some big stones uh, some that were pretty well buried in the ground and I was second to last in our line trying to keep my upper body kind of relaxed so I didn't have a super tight grip on the bars and I'm watching the people in front of me making sure I don't get too close and my front wheel hit the very edge of a fairly sizable rock that was still buried in the ground sent my front wheel flying out to the left and kind of up which meant it sent me flying straight down to the right onto my shoulder and side. Mm. Um, slid along the ground, which again was pretty much covered in gravel and rocks. I did hit my helmet on a rock. Found that out later. It has a nice little dent in it. Um, hopped back up and, you know, after a fall like that, your adrenaline just spikes. Just, everything is going a million miles an hour. And I'm looking at myself, okay, I'm okay. My bike's okay. Hop back on my bike and chase back on the group and just, all right, now it's time to see what's wrong. I'm looking at my bike, and everything looks fairly okay, except my brake lever and shifter had twisted down on the handlebar, so they were pointing the wrong way. So I just kind of pushed on those a bit and was able to bring them back in line. And everything else seemed fine. I didn't lose my bottles. I didn't lose anything from my backpack. I looked down, and my leg was bleeding a bit, and my arm was bleeding a bit, but everything was still attached, and uh, I could still see straight. I knew the date. Uh, I knew what I was doing. I knew where I was, so didn't figure there was any head injury. Um, just got back into the race. Nice. It's, you know, uh, quick question. Was there any <clears throat> protocol for emergency medical for the race or uh, anything? I mean, did you... Anything like that? Uh, we did get what was called a passport, and it said if there's an emergency, call 911. <laughs> If you have cell reception. Interesting. <laughs> Otherwise, you were just food for the wildlife. Yeah. <laughs> but, okay, so you crash at mile... 150. Okay, and then what does that do to the uh, to um, your your place in the, in the lead group? So, crashed, got up, chased back onto the group, and I was feeling pretty all right for a while. Uh, but the downside of having an adrenaline spike is it's going to come back down. And maybe 20, 30 minutes after that crash, I could just feel that adrenaline leaving and taking all of my energy with it. You and essentially burned a match. Yeah, without actually burning one. And just I, I couldn't get my heart rate to settle back where I needed it to be. I couldn't get my breathing back in a rhythm that I wanted it to be in. And everything felt like more work than it really needed to be or more work than I was really doing. Um, so when we got to just kind of a steep climb, I went to climb with the group, and my heart rate spiked, and my breathing went crazy, and I was like, what's going on? This is 
not how I've been feeling all day today. And then I realized, oh, yeah, this is, this is not right. And I kind of figured out what was going on. So I backed off a little bit up the hill, got to the top, uh, caught back up with the group and rode with them for a little bit till we came to another one that was about the same size. But I'm like, all right, this time I'm going to shift down. I'm going to take it easy from the beginning. Uh, and as soon as I started shifting down, got into the top third of my gears and my derailleur's chain's going all over the place. Oh, like, what? What's going on? Not only do I not have any energy right now, my bike doesn't even want to work. <laughs> Both machines are malfunctioning. <laughs> so I, I got to the top of the hill and stopped and looked, and my derailleur was at a weird angle. I was like, oh, great. I bet my derailleur. This is going to make the rest of the day a whole lot of fun. And there they go. So I did a quick adjustment of the barrel on my shifter and thought, well, it'll be good enough to, to get me going. And I was going to chase back on, and my heart rate just went all over the place again. And that's just when I realized I need to back it down. I need to settle myself back down. I need to kind of get my head back in the game after this crash. It's it's taking its toll now. I thought everything was going to be okay, but it's just messed with me a bit physically and mentally. So time to back down, watch him pull away, and you just... You can see him getting smaller and smaller and just back there going, I still have 80 miles to go, and I know I'm going to have to do it all by myself. And at this point, what was um, who was in the lead group then? You had three or four? Yeah, so at that point, the lead group was Mark Krantz, Nick Stanko, Tinker Juarez, and Tyler Weston. Uh, and we'd been riding you know, 150, 160 miles together all day, so it was just so hard to watch them pull away when I knew I should still be riding with sure. them but is that idea that if I continue to ride with them I'm gonna get maybe make it to Lance and I'm just gonna crash and I'm gonna be done so I can back off take it easy and try to catch him again later and just run my race for now yeah. salvage that situation yep. yeah and at that point did you have any idea about anyone behind you how far of a gap you had or not even not even sure didn't know but i figured if they caught me we could ride together and work together and if they didn't catch me so then yep yeah I've, I've done enough races of far too long and spent enough of that time on my own that i really wasn't that worried about having to do it on my own but i knew it would be a lot better riding with other people so at that point you rode the remainder of the race solo yes and that was how many miles that was about 80 miles 80 miles Yep, there was one point where I did see someone behind me on a long stretch of paved road, and I had that, that brief thought of, maybe I should slow down and let him catch me, because if he does, we can work together and try to catch back up. But then I realized, even with my break and my stop in Lance to refill, he wasn't able to catch up, so he might not have the legs to try to chase on. So I'm just going to keep going, and if he catches me, great, we can work together. And if he doesn't catch me, then I've made the right decision to keep going. So you were solo when you hit the trailer. Yeah. You were solo when you went, uh, when you walked your bike up <laughs> Mosquito Gulch. Um, and then uh, you only had, what, like another 20 miles after that, 30 miles? It was about 30 miles or so after Mosquito Gulch, and almost all of that was road. So gravel road. A lot of it was on Red Road, which is... Sometimes it can get really sandy, so there was some concern with that. But it wasn't horrible. There were sandy patches. There was a lot of sand over hard pack. 
but you could find lines most of the day. So I spent a lot of time writing in the very, very far right hand kind of shoulder mm -hmm. and all of a sudden shooting all the way over to the left hand side of the road because there'd be a 50 yard stretch there. Yeah. And then spend two minutes in the middle and then back to the right, back to the left, just to, to find those lines where there wasn't the really soft sand. Mm -hmm. So one thing that I know you are an absolute expert on, what was your calorie intake over this race? My calorie intake over this race was somewhere between 35 and 3,700 calories. Came out to just over 200 calories an hour. So when I do my 100-mile races, I usually take in between 180 and 200 calories an hour, and it gets me through. That worked for the first eight, 10 hours of this race, but after that I did start to need just a little bit more, so I increased my my intake had a couple big old peanut butter and honey sandwiches just to get something in my stomach yeah. um, my nutrition for the day was mainly perpetuum which is great for calories it works great with my stomach i don't ever have any issues with it but sometimes you just kind of get hungry and crave some real food it needs to be solid yeah. so the, you know, the bagels filled that role <laughs> uh, Fluid intake was, t I, I can't even remember how much water I drank, but it was a lot. How many times did you refill your hydration pack? Two. Okay. But my Actually, bottles were much more often. Okay. Because Lori, my wife Lori, did meet me five places along the route um, and gave me and the, the leaders some water and nice. snacks and stuff nice. like that. How many times did you meet, meet up with her? So we had planned to meet five times along the route to refill. Uh, based on the timeline I had set out. However, our group was going way faster than what I had anticipated going for the course of the day. So there were two stops. The first one was an hour out. The second one was under an hour from there. So at that middle one, we were you know, 45 minutes to it and only 35 minutes to the next one. So I didn't need to get anything from her there. Okay. So what kind of weather were we talking about? Was it hot? Did you need extra water, or was it relatively cool? We had a great day weather-wise. It started off around 60 and warmed up to mid-70s for most of the day, which is really quite comfortable. I think we did touch 80 for maybe a half an hour or an hour, and then it started to cool back down. So it was I couldn't have asked for better weather. I didn't need a lot of extra water. I just had to make sure, make sure I kept up on what I was supposed to drink. Now that area is, it's, it's fairly sheltered, but did you have wind? What was your sun exposure? So wind varied throughout the course of the day. For a fair bit of it, we were in the woods and didn't get a lot of wind. We did get out onto a few open roads where we had some headwind early in the day, and then later in the day we had a little bit of a tailwind, but not a lot. We did have a bit of sun, but again, it wasn't anything that was going to really have an effect on the day, okay. as long as you drank the water you should be drinking. So which bike did you ride for this? <clears throat> I rode my Specialized Epic full suspension. Okay. It's simply because of the comfort factor. I really went back and forth between that and my hardtail. And watching videos of people riding the 100-mile course and people talking about how harsh it could be and my own experiences with rides of over 12 to 14 hours, when you get to the end of the day, it's not necessarily about how much you've used your legs but how much you beat on your body when you ride a hardtail on a really rough course it just beating up on yourself all day takes so much energy out of you so anything that i could do to kind of help alleviate uh, some of that 
torture basically <laughs> was was something I was going to do. So my full suspension just it took the edge off everything and made it so at the end of the day I still had some energy left and my body didn't feel like I had been you know been been thrown off a cliff. Was yeah. that pretty common with uh, <laughs> other riders or what were they riding? There were quite a few full suspension bikes. Um, Mark and Nick both rode kind of a monster cross style bike, so it was a gravel bike, but they had at least two inch wide tires okay. on it. Uh, Tinker was riding his mountain bike, but it was a hardtail. I know Tyler was, I think Tyler was riding his hardtail. There was another two other guys when we had eight of us who had full suspension bikes as well, but there were a lot of a lot of full squish up there. Okay, so um, let's go back to uh, the end of the race. <clears throat> And you're, you pull into Marquette, correct? Yep. And uh, you're going across the finish line. What kind of reception did you get? And uh, just how did you feel as you were finishing this <laughs> oh. this adventure? It was absolutely amazing. There weren't a ton of people there, maybe 30 people. Sure. But, but all of them were standing up and cheering and, and encouraging me on and being just so great to pull into that much excitement and energy for, for me to come in. And considering most of the people had no idea who I was, it was just awesome to get that kind of reception. I did have a few friends up there. Um, my wife, Lori, was there. Um, Chad and Nicole, who also are from Lansing, were up there, and they stopped by to see the finish. Jameson, who we ride with on a regular basis, was up there doing the ultra run, and he had, run. Yep, yeah. he had finished earlier, so he waited for me to come, and it was just great to have, have him there at the finish. Familiar faces, yeah, yeah for sure. How much uh, daylight did you have left? So when I got into Marquette, I was riding down a paved road that was covered and aligned with trees, so I turned my headlight on just to make sure cars could see me. But when I finished, I didn't have to have it. I could still see without mm -hmm. it. But it got dark real quickly afterwards. Now, what was your total time? My Garmin said 15 hours, 50 minutes, and 20, or 15 hours. Hold on. Hey, get it right. I mean, you better. <laughs> I want to know the exact. <laughs> my Garmin said 15 hours, 53 minutes, and 42 seconds. And I hit my stop button maybe a couple seconds after I rolled through. I know the official time had me at maybe 30 seconds after that because they stopped the clock after I got off my bike and walked over to the finish line table and checked in. And what was your official mileage for the end of the day? My official mileage was 234.08 miles. Would you say... No, I know you've ridden further than that before. Would you say this is your hardest 234 miles? <laughs> I, I would say that was my hardest 234 <laughs> miles. Uh, the, Maybe that's a dumb question. <laughs> <laughs> Not necessarily. So I've done 300 on the road, over 300 on the road before, but when you're riding on the road, you can settle in just kind of get into a rhythm of pedaling, talk with other people you're riding with, and relax for a while. Where on this, you could never really just relax. Even the easy pavement, you're still trying to make sure you're looking for the best lines, you're watching out for rocks, your bike's moving around and shifting in the sand, so it's, it's never sit back and just take it easy for a minute, especially if you want to do well, if you want to finish yeah. in the top. Sure. Uh, so, are you gonna be back next year? I'm planning on going back again next year. It was a great weekend, a great adventure, and a great challenge that I think I can do faster. So after this year, any changes you might do for equipment, uh, fueling? 
My fuel plan was spot on, so I don't think I would change that. Equipment, I might put a pair of clip-on aero bars for some of the gravel roads, yeah. Okay, all right. There were a few gravel roads that you could use. There were a few paved roads early in the day where I think just being able to get into a different position would alleviate a little bit of stress on your back, make it a little bit easier. Were there any other riders utilizing clip-on aero bars? There were a few. Okay, okay. Controversial. (laughs) <laughs> Not really. Okay. Right. <laughs> Not for this one. All right. Other than clip-on aero bars, I don't know if I would do anything. I might consider riding my hardtail next year, maybe, but it depends on uh, how much rain they get up there, how washed out everything is. So it, it would really be more of a decision I'd make a week or two before the race. Now, I know this is kind of a little late. What tire size did you end up running? I was running a 2.3 on the front and a 2.25 on the back. Okay. And I would say, for the most part, there was no disadvantage to running that big of a tire. When we were on paved roads riding in a group, I was able to stay with the group and take my turns pulling. Uh, When we got into sand or some of the big rocks, I think it really gave me a nice advantage. Going through Mosquito Gulch, I think I was able to put up better times than a lot of people who were running skinnier tires just because I was able to get that traction through there. Uh, probably having the full suspension bike made it a little better as well, but <laughs> sure. Um, but yeah, I think it was the right size. There were there were a few spots where you know a gravel tire might have been nice, but I think you'd have been a, a disadvantage so much more of the day riding something like a 42 mil. Yeah, absolutely. What were what were the skinniest tires you saw out there? I didn't see much under a two, yeah. but I didn't look real hard at the beginning of the race when there were a lot more people around. I know that in our lead group of 12 at the beginning, there was no one running anything smaller than a two-inch tire. Okay. Anybody running like a single-speed bike? There were people who said they were going to. I just didn't see any of them. Sheldon, next year, man. Yeah, you it's can all do you. It. Yeah, I can't fit a two-inch on that, though. <laughs> what can you fit? Uh, 40 max. Yeah, you could do it, but you're going to hate life. I always do. (laughs) Extra. (laughs) We'll Well, see. Maybe I'll have a build that I can fit something like that and maybe run single speed. I I do have something in the works for next year that I can fit up to a 2.5. So, Mitch, what's next for you? Next, my next race is the Margie Gessick 100. So back up, to right Marquette. back up there, <laughs> right back to I can't Todd. Stay away. <laughs> yep, I do have a, um, a more of a Grand Fondo style ride that I'm doing in August up it starts in Calava. It's called the Big Bear Butt Cruise. If anyone's looking for an awesome just ride and day and weekend, definitely recommend it. It's a 200k that goes up over the Tippy Dam, up around Frankfurt around Crystal Lake and then back into Calava. Just some great people up there putting on an amazing weekend and ride. Great. Mitch, anything else before we wrap up? Um, Any plugs you want to give to sponsors or? Oh, sure. I always have to thank Hammer Nutrition, uh, ESI Grips, and Rudy Project North America. Uh, Give me some great support and help make these crazy decisions and awesome weekends just that much easier to do. Especially, Rudy, after it uh, sounds like you might be buying a new helmet I already soon. did. It came in, and I love it. It's great. Awesome. Tried it out on Saturday. Mitch, we can't thank you enough for coming by and sharing your story with us. Um, we'll have to have him back after Margie. We will definitely have you back after Margie. You're always fantastic to ride with. and uh, No, my legs hate you. <laughs> Good. <laughs> thank you, Mitch. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. appreciate it. Thank you all for being with us here and listening to the Dirty Chain Podcast. 
hop over on the Instagrams at Dirty Chain Podcast. Make sure you hit the like and subscribe button. And as always, keep your chains clean, but get your chain dirty. See you in the mid pack. Yeah.